welcome to Trinity Parish this morning on the great feast day of Christ the King, which is the end of our liturgical year and the beginning tomorrow next Sunday the beginning of another. On the highest point in Washington, D.C., Mount St. Albans, sits the Cathedral of St. Peter and Paul, otherwise known as the National Cathedral. Its creation was included, uh, the, the, uh, crea its creation was included in L'Enfant's grand design for, uh, for the city. He envisioned a future great church in, as a place in which city and national faith-based rituals could take place. If you've ever visited that cathedral, it's a grand space built in traditional Gothic style and is the sixth largest cathedral in the world. As your eyes drawn um, entrance to the east end of the cathedral, as you enter, the, you, you see the uh, Sanctus Veritas behind the great altar, uh, the big stone carving uh, that uh, is like the one behind our own altar. It has a 110 contemporary carved and uh, historic figures uh, surrounding Christ seated on a stool. In his left hand uh, is the orb of the world, and in his right hand is raised in blessing, Christ in majesty. I used to go to service there occasionally when I lived in the city and took a friend one time, and she said, I've been Episcopalian all my life, but this is the first Episcopal church I've ever been in which had the power and glory. And so uh, it is such a, such a place. It reflects that phrase, this uh, setting, reflects the phrase in the letter to the Ephesians read in the epistle this morning. And God has put all things under his feet and has made Christ the head over all things. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So today we conclude this liturgical year A with the Feast of Christ the King. In the church's history of liturgical observance, it's a fairly new feast uh, uh, around the events in our Lord's life. In the time between the First and Second World Wars, Pope Pius put it on the church's calendar to make an important statement of, about a different way of living at a time which Various forms of totalitarianism were on the rise. Social nationalism in Germany, fascism in Italy, communism in the Soviet Union. It raised up the figure of a most unlikely king, Jesus Christ, a king who was surprisingly different, one with no army, no territory, no weapons, no wealth, no global program of dominance, but simply the values of extending truth, love, and justice in the world. This king was not a power king, but a servant king, the man for others, the crucified one who was raised to life over the impact of every form of evil which took his life. Christ is the model of the right kind of rule and the right kind of kingdom. Now, let's face it, the church has not always, as a community of faith, been consistent in living out these principles and values 
that Christ espoused. We've adopted the secular political definition of rule, of having power and governance and coercion over others. And there have been black places in the history of the church where this has taken place. But there have also been some great moments uh, in the long history of the church's life and its communication and activa activation of the gospel. But I would like to say that let's take the word rule away from governance and uh, power, but take the rule as it has in a different meaning in the spiritual life and journey. Rule of life is synonymous with a pattern for living, a way of living, a pattern for us that has a definite shape. And as Christians, the rule of life, the way we rule over life, and the pattern that we take and incorporate into our own life and our relationship to others in the world involves several values. A reminder of those this morning. It is first to maintain a healthy relationship with God and to encounter that life-giving word as we worship and as we study the word of, of God, which is the relationship we have in Jesus and grow in that relationship with God and neighbor through communal activity and study and the breaking of bread. It is to get up every morning and live with the appreciation that all creation is good. All creation is good and formed in the image of God to be enjoyed and to promote delight. And the other value is to always look for the best and the good and that which is of value in every person. Sometimes it takes uh, several months to find that in some people, but it is always to, to look for the good and the value in every human being and to commit to connect to people rather than demonize and separate them because they're different. They don't look like us or they don't have the same background that we do. It is foundational is the respect for the dignity and the value and the life of every, every human being. And then it is also, this is not all something that's sweet and nice, but it's also to stand in the midst of the culture in which we live and occasionally cultivate what I call uh, a pleasant, holy anger at the demise of love and justice in the world. And to, to temper that with a gentleness and undergird it with a resolve, that holy anger, that you will resist every form of evil and injustice and find your place in the relationships that you have to work for inclusivity and for justice. William Temple, the 100th Archbishop of Canterbury, and a wonderful book he wrote on the Christian life shared this insight that you know there's a lot of great idealism in Christianity and often we uh, uh, fall back because things are not always great. But it's helpful to know that frequently we take three steps forward to live out this uh, wonderful pattern of living and style of living, this rule of life. And then occasionally the church takes and we take a couple of steps backwards we fall short of that goal and that living. 
Today is a call to renew our own commitment to this way of living, this rule of life, that the rule of Christ may extend over all the world. Because today, exclusivity and faux nationalism surfaces again in our country and in other nations in the West to diminish the, the value of living uh, together in harmony with one another and to respect the dignity of every human being. It squelches the values of the rule of Christ and its evidence in facets of public policy. Next week, we start this story all over again, and hopefully, as we journey into faith, we go deeper into this pattern of living through the liturgical year and lessons in cycle B. We go beyond the surface pageantry of this great feast, which can delude us to thinking that the reign of Christ and the kingship of Christ is a different kind of power rather than humility and love and justice. But we go to the core, we go beyond the pageantry of this great feast to the core of what that rule and pattern of living embodies. And we pray that we may be free of all things that diminish that in us and live and work together under Christ's most gracious rule, his pattern of living, his shape for the world for it to be transformed. One of my former bishops had a great prayer, which I commend to you today. And it is a prayer to use of the Feast of Christ the King. O oh God, what we know not, teach us. O oh God, what we have not, give us. O oh God, what we are not, Make us in the shape of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.